F here. Um, okay, I'm going to begin like I've been beginning, although I am moving on. We're out of the Psalms tonight. Um, but I do want to remind you of some of the things we've been saying uh, from Tripp's book. Uh, and it's the book that the young adults are studying right now. David Paul Tripp. Paul David Tripp. I always get that wrong. Whether you know it or not, you're in a lifelong pursuit of all. I think most of you know it. Some of you may be too young to know it. But you know you're always looking for that thing that makes your heart beat fast. Um, there's an all longing in your heart. And misplaced awe will keep you always dissatisfied. So we've been making that point. Trip goes on. Every problem you think you have is ultimately an all problem. It's a God problem. So we just, as true believers, we bring it to God. We give it to God. We let God take care of it. We can sleep at night. We don't have to worry um, about every little thing because our God is God and He's able. If all of God is not the center of your worldview, you will look at nothing properly. So this is a great segue into what I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to preach about the Bible tonight. I'm not going to preach from the Bible, as is our custom, and should be every church's custom. I'm going to preach about the Bible. I haven't done this in uh, 18 months, and that's probably a little too long. Uh, as a the pastor of an international church, you realize there are certain things you need to talk about at least once a year, okay? And this is one of them, and I don't always do this well, and uh, again, as I said, it's been about 18 months, so I do want to talk about the Word of God. The Bible will address your all long. You say, Jim, I'm not in awe of anything. Well, I know that, first of all, that's a lie. Secondly, that means you're not in the Bible and you're not looking at the biblical God. If you're looking at the biblical God and you're looking at Him properly, and you're receiving His words, you will be in awe of Him. If you're not in awe of Him, you're not reading it right. And you're not thinking about it deeply. Every problem you have will take on a correct proportion if you're looking at the biblical God, right? You, you won't obsess over something, some temporal issue in your life. You'll be obsessing about Jesus Christ. This is what true believers do. And then lastly, you will look at everything properly if you're looking at the God of the Bible. So, again, I'll probably be teaching more tonight than preaching, which that will be a relief to some of you. Uh, I still remember about 30 some odd years ago, my spiritual mentor asked me, Jim, what would you give to have direct revelation from the being who created you? He says, don't answer me. I want you to go home. I want you to think about it. Come back tomorrow and we'll talk again. What would you give for that? Direct revelation from the awesome being who wrote your DNA and made all of this. What would you give? I'll just ask you, what would you give? I think if you're a thinking person, you would say everything. You would say anything. You would say all things. I would give everything I have and everything I am to have a direct revelation from this being. Well, guess what? You do. It's right here. You have it. You have it. You don't have to give anything for it. Now, 
if you fall in love with Christ, which is apt to happen if you enter into the Word of God, um, it may cost you everything, but it's free. And I, I will say this, there's no ultimate cost in following Christ. It's all gain. Listen, He is so awesome that death is gain. Do you hear what I'm saying? Philippians 1.21 Our God is so awesome that death is gain. So, people are always talking about, well, you know, I'm going to have to give up so much. Well, in one sense, we do give up the world. But the world is passing away. <laughs> if you love the world more than you love God, you've got a huge problem. You've been deluded and deceived. Um, some of you have and are taking the Bible for granted. It's just not that important in your life. Some of you probably haven't picked up a Bible in a long time. You don't pick it up. You don't look at it. You don't read it. You don't study it. You don't think about it. You don't meditate on it. It's just peripheral. Now, probably everyone in here, not, I don't presume that everyone in here, but almost everybody in here would probably say, I'm a Christian in some sense. It's probably only cultural for some of you. It's real for the rest of you who are born again. Um, but you, you, know, you can gauge yourself right here. Do I have any interest in the Word of God at all? <laughs> That'll tell you almost everything you need to know about your professed Christianity. Do I have any interest in what God has said? What God has revealed? That's a real barometer of where we are with God. If you go to our website, you'll find 20... Um, items of how we live and what we believe. and They all have one thing in common. That is, they're all supported by um, uh, a Scripture, a passage out of the Bible. Now, this is a conscious decision we've made. <laughs> this is all we do. When you come in here, I tell you, and I, I've told some of you, if you don't like the Bible, you won't like us. Because this is all we do. We don't care what popes say. We don't care what patriarchs say. We don't care what famous preachers from Nigeria say. Right, Chenelo? <laughs> we don't care what they say. They may say good stuff. We don't care. All we care about is what God says. That's really that's the only reason the, the doors are still open after 15 years. It pleases God for His Word to be preached in English in Milan. That's all I can figure out. So, we don't care what anyone else has to say. On our website it says, We affirm the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The 66 books of the Old and New Testaments alone are the trustworthy, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Everything else anyone ever says is pure speculation. And I would say this. I would insert demonic, especially in the spiritual realm, it would be demonic speculation. Any competing narrative or any narrative that competes with the narrative of Jesus Christ is demonic. Okay, There's no other place from which it would originate. Now we consciously say the 66 books, as you know, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and Catholicism, they have a, an extra 12, 14, 16 books between the Testaments. These are called the Apocryphal books. Um, these books are not considered uh, divinely inspired. They weren't considered divinely inspired by the Jews. Not by Jesus, not by the apostles. So, uh, we only hold to the 66 books um, of the Protestant Bible. 
we've made a conscious decision to stand upon the Word of God, period. You know, people always ask me, what's your denominational take? I don't have one. I, I, I don't like denominations, okay? I, I'm not going to speak against any particular denominations, but I don't... Well, they're certainly not important when we have an international crowd that's passing through, right? They bore me. All we care about is this. I don't care about denominations. I was raised in a denomination, but I don't even use the word anymore because it doesn't mean anything to me. This is what means something to me, and hopefully that's true of you. I think you know many churches, if not most, today have to one degree or another abandoned this. There's only a few anymore that will teach this with any integrity and will teach all of what it says. Not just the fun parts, not just the cool parts, not just the parts we like, but all of it. The parts we don't like. The hard parts. The parts we struggle with. The mysterious parts. The judgment part. The condemnation part. Many churches just won't preach it anymore. And you know why they get away with it? You know why they get away with it? Because the people sitting in these denominations don't really care. They don't know what God says and they don't care what God says. I want to go to church. I want to check my box. I want to feel good about myself just in case hell is real. I don't want to go there. I'm going to be a good religious person. I don't really care about the Word of God. And if my preacher is preaching something contrary to this, I, I won't even notice because I don't care. I've never opened it. I don't read it. I don't think about it. You know, I say it to you all the time. <laughs> you can fool me and I can fool you. But you're not fooling God. He knows if you love Him. And He knows if you love His Word. Doing religion is just a lot easier than being a Christian. A real Christian. A disciple of Christ. It's just easier to be religious. It's easier to have some kind of denominational affiliation than to actually go out and do the Word that God has called us to do. It's just more culturally acceptable. It's more politically correct to just, you know, be on the fringe. We know what Paul told Timothy. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, that time is here. <laughs> it was actually here soon after Jesus came out of the grave. As you know, if you know your New Testament, the writers of the New Testament were fighting heresy from the very beginning. And the true church is continuing to fight heresy. You know what, it, you know what Paul says. People want to have their ears tickled. They, they accumulate for themselves teachers who will teach them what they want to hear in accordance with their own desires. Uh, they turn their ears away from God's truth and they listen to myths. Now we know this is widespread throughout what is called Christendom. It's widespread. And you know what? You call yourself a Christian? I don't know if you all are or not. Some of you may just be visiting and you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. But a true believer has to eat this. You know, again, I, I use this analogy all the time. It's the whole manna thing. Why, do you, why did they have to get manna every day? Man, you need this every day, right? You need this every day or you'll be emaciated. You won't be able to 
stand in the world and give a witness, a strong witness, a bold witness, which is the only reason God leaves you on the planet if you're a Christian, to be a witness. It'd be far better to be with Him. Death is gain. We get all of that. So why am I still here? To make a lot of money. Wrong! You may make a lot of money, but that's not why you're still here. You're here to be a witness to your family, to your friends, and to your colleagues. So why, why do we say we hold to the Bible? Is it just proper? Yes, it's proper. But we hold to it because we actually love it. God has changed me in the Bible. And I'm sure many of you could give that same testimony. We agree with Peter. You remember when Jesus said, do you want to leave too? And what did Peter say? No. You have the words of life. Nobody talked like Jesus. Nobody talked like Him. And there is no so-called holy book like this. There's no competition with this. <laughs> They're all cheap imitations. They're all pretenders. This is the Word of the Creator God. You can believe it or disbelieve it. That's your call. It's your call. But it is His revelation. Love to have 10,000 people in here. Be a little tight. Love to grow. Love to have... But we don't compromise the message. <laughs> you are not going to edit God to get more people in the seats. We made this commitment a long time ago. I mean, when I, before I went to seminary, I already made this commitment. You know? I love and fear God too much to tickle your ears. If you want your ears tickled, I'll just tell you, if this is your first or second time here, don't come back. I'm never going to do it. I fear God too much. I love God too much. And I actually love you too much. The psalmist says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So tonight, my attempt just very briefly is to answer some legitimate questions that many people have about the Bible. Such as, where did the Bible come from? How did it take its present form? Who determined what books would be included in the Bible? Did any books of the Bible get lost? Who wrote the Bible, God or man? I'll just answer that one right here. Yes. You know it. If you're a believer, you understand. And we'll talk more about it in a minute. Has the Bible been protected from human tampering over time? How close are today's translations to the original manuscripts? Is there more Scripture to come beyond the 66 books? Does the Bible really deserve the title, The Word of God? So, again, I probably will be teaching much more tonight than preaching. And I just want to take you through some very basic things that I think every Christian, every professing Christian should know. Uh, first of all, there are three views of the Bible. You know what they are. Uh, the first is the view that this church holds, that the Bible is the all-sufficient, trustworthy, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. That is our position in the original autographs. That is our position. It's why that's all we do. We don't teach anything but from the Bible. Young adults, Bible studies are based... If we, if we do an outside book, it'll be based on Scripture. It'll have a lot of Scripture in it. The second view is that the Bible has some truth in it, but it also contains error. I'm sure you've heard this. Of course, this is contrary to the um, testimony of the apostles. The 
the teachers in the history of the church, and also contrary to the Lord Jesus Himself. Jesus is clear. The Old Testament is the Word of God. His words are the word of, words of God. And the words of His apostles are the words of God. It's right there. Jesus ends all of the debate. If, if, if you have any... Uh, if you come to the Bible with intellectual integrity and you just let it speak for what it's... You know, Jesus has just said... All of the Bible is the Word of God. You, you, you'll have to piece that together through the Gospels. But this is the declaration of Jesus. Of course, the third view is that the Bible is just a book like any other book uh, with no inherent value or personal relevancy. So, I just want to say, some people actually, believe it or not, I've had this discussion, some people actually believe that they can be Christians and discount the Bible. You, beloved, again, this is, delusion, this is delusion and deception. You don't get to pick and choose your Christianity. Um, you either believe it all or you don't believe it at all. So how big of a decision is this for you? It's the biggest decision you'll ever make. What you believe about the Bible. Because this is the revelation of God. Okay? We have the natural revelation out there. That when the sun comes up and you see it and you see all the beauty and you see the symmetry and you see the design and you see the, the genius of it all. Yes, it speaks. There's a mind out there. There's a God out there. He must be out there. Romans chapter 1 is quite clear. We know He's there, but this is His written revelation. This is how you come to know Him. We know He's there from simply looking around. This is how we come to know Him. This is His revelation. Don't you dare disparage it. And if you're not interested in it, don't tell anyone you're a Christian. This is God's Word. How much would you give to have God's Word? People, countless numbers of people died for this. What you have sitting in your lap, what you have at home sitting on your shelf, countless people were slaughtered about this. People still are murdered about this. I just want us to feel the weight of this, okay? God has sent you a letter. Are you interested? Are you interested? So this is a huge decision. It's not, it's not possible for me to overstate how important it is about how you see the Bible and how you interact with it. I cannot overstate how important this is for you. You know, well, I'm a churchgoer. You know, I, I, I go to church. You know, um, going to church is good. But if you have no appetite for the, word, for the Word of God, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your uh, profession of faith if you have no appetite for the Word of God. And you don't spend time in it. Let me do an analogy, a real quick analogy for you. Um, Let's say your, your, your soul depends on you traveling to a far distant destination to which you've never been through hostile territory to present yourself 
there as holy to a holy king. And Oh yes, you have no food, you have no map, you have no compass, you have no shield, you have no weapon. You're blind, you're in complete darkness, and you're painfully aware that you are not holy. That's your situation. Apart from this. <laughs> okay? You're clueless, you're blind, you're helpless. God says, here I am. Why then should you die? This is what he says in his word. So not only do we not have what we need for this journey, we have no means to acquire it apart from the gift of God that he gives. So simple facts. The English word Bible simply means book or scroll. Um, Scripture is a term used in the New Testament for all of the Old Testament writings. Again, the Bible is a collection of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. I already told you why we don't um, accept the apocryphal books. And here's a beautiful thing. This is an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. People want to say, oh, the Bible is like every other book. Or it's like other holy books. They'll at least maybe say that. There's never been a book like the Bible. It's truly supernatural. It has supernatural written all over it. You guys know the story, I trust. It's comprised of 66 books by 40 different authors. Now here, you guys know that I've written a book or two. I know I can't write a chapter without contradicting myself or making a mistake. This is why you have to edit everything 100 times. The Bible, 66 books written by 40 authors in three languages over 1,500 years on three continents. And I want to get this right, so I'm going to read it. with a common storyline, theme, and message with no historical or factual errors and no doctrinal contradictions. My seminary professor said, go find another book like that. And one of the brighter students, not me, said, that's impossible. That's the point. <laughs> okay? I'm just going to say it again. I want this to sink in. I want you to think deeply about it. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, three languages, three different continents, no contradictions, no errors. And you're going to stand before God and say, I didn't know! I didn't know your book was... I didn't know the Bible was supernatural. How was I supposed to know it's supernatural? All you have to do is wake up, roll out of bed, and look around. And read a little bit. Right? This is not hard. This is not hard. This is not hard at all. So, I didn't, yeah, I said there's no contradictions or errors. I didn't say there's not any mystery. Of course there's mystery. How could there not be mystery? Infinite mind and you. Okay, how could there not be mystery? Infinite mind and finite mind. Infinite mind and two and a half pounds of gray matter. How could there not be mystery? Of course there's mystery. Of course, there is mystery. But I personally love the mystery, right? I love the mystery. When unbelievers come to me and they want to say, what about this? I say, isn't it awesome? Let's worship God. 
<laughs> what about the Trinity, Jim? That's my favorite one to go to. It's my go-to one, my go-to mystery. What about the Trinity, Jim? Explain the Trinity to me. I say, I'll never explain the Trinity to you. God didn't explain it to me. I'm not going to explain it to you. He revealed it. He doesn't explain it. Deal with it. Just deal with it. He's awesome and he's mysterious. He's infinitely above you and he does not explain himself to anyone. You say, Jim, you know, people want to say, well, this is, you know, you know, people always want to come to me and say, well, God doesn't explain that. He doesn't explain. This is not God's explanation. He owes you no explanation. He will never give a man an explanation. What he's done in here, you know, right? I tell you all the time. It's his revelation. God's revealed Himself. He's not explaining Himself. He doesn't owe you one word of explanation. And He's not going to give you an explanation. But He'll graciously give you a revelation. What I want to say to you, beloved, when people want to challenge you on the mystery, embrace it. I love the mystery of God. I absolutely love it. I love what John Newton said, 18th century preacher. He said, I will put down all apparent inconsistencies in the Bible to my own ignorance. And my own lack of understanding. Bam! That's right. Whatever problem you think you have with the Bible, that's within your two and a half pounds of gray matter. <laughs> okay? So you got more work to do. You got more work to do. Hey, I spent 20 years on Romans chapter 9. Okay? <laughs> what, I, what I struggle with is people who read one verse and they go, oh, I, oh, I don't like that. No, no. You know, I told you the last several weeks, you know, people that actually get around to reading their Bibles oftentimes find out they don't like the God of the Bible at all. So what's the scope of the Bible? Eternity past to eternity future. That's a pretty big topic. That's quite a scope. Old Testament, we have creation, the fall of man, the history of Israel, and the promise of the coming Messiah. New Testament, we have the coming Messiah. We have Jesus, God incarnate. We have His words. We have His apostles and the establishment of the church and the revelation of the consummation of all things. So what is God's publishing process? Karen and I were talking about this today. Obviously, God could have written it in the sky. He could have written it in the stars. He could have written it in your DNA. Uh, he could have written it. He could have been carved it in the Alps. And you could have just gone up and read it. And there it was. And it was awesome. You know, He could have done it any way He chose to do it. But this is how he did choose to do it. He decided to reveal himself to men. This is how he did it. So, the theological term is revelation. What did he do? He chose men of his own sovereign good pleasure to reveal himself to and for them to record what he has revealed. This is how God chose to do it. Some people say, I don't like that. Well, God... Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you like it or I like it. It never matters if you like it or I like it. Get over that! It only matters that God said it and God did it. I am always astonished at the arrogance and the hubris. Stop jousting with God and submit to God. It's like I was telling Karen, you know, with the God of the Bible, you just have to bow or you have to flee. You have to bow or you have to flee. He is an awesome God. So He reveals Himself to His chosen vessels. 
And through inspiration, he gives his word. This is the definition of inspiration. The supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit upon divinely chosen men to compose, record, without our God's revelation. So this means that God's divine truth flowed through the minds, souls, hearts, emotions, and pen of His men. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Scripture is inspired by God. It's not that inspired men wrote it. The Scripture is inspired and God gave it through men. Okay? That's what He did. Peter explains the inspiration process, 1 Peter 20 and 21. Know this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is how you got your Bible. God chose men. He used the Spirit of God to record the inspired, inspirational words that the Spirit gave to these men. So, how did we arrive at 66 books? Again, I'm not going to address any longer the, the pseudo-churches that have other books. But how do we get to 66 books? What, how did we come to, to, to that decision? Old Testament canon. Um, how did we get it? It was set by the 5th century B.C. So the canon was set when Jesus was walking the planet. Jesus affirmed and delimited what the Old Testament was. I'm not going to go into detail with that because I don't have time. If you're interested, I'm happy to give you more detail on that. Jesus affirmed that the, the Jewish canon was complete. I'll just give you the chapter, Luke chapter 11, 49 and 51. Jesus talks about this. In talking about the blood of Abel and Zechariah. What's the New Testament canon? It's based on what is called apostolicity. It simply means that the books that were written by the apostles or the associates of the apostles were considered as possible divinely inspired. And the church, over time, decided which were of God and which were not of God. So an associate of an apostle would be like for example, Mark was the penman of Peter. Luke was the penman of Paul. We know that James and Jude were the half-brothers of Jesus. They were in, the, they were in association with um, the apostles. We know James was the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the early church decided that the book of Hebrews was so in keeping with uh, Old Testament, New Testament, divine revelation that it must have been written by an, uh, an associate of an apostle. In fact, uh, my favorite preacher, John Piper, believes that Hebrews was written by Barnabas. But we don't really know for sure who wrote Hebrews. The canon, the New Testament canon, was settled by 170 A.D. And it was uh, certified in the 4th century by the Synod of Hippo and the Council of Carthage. They... In the council and, and the synod, they didn't vote on which book they liked best. They just affirmed that this is the New Testament canon that the church has determined is of God. They just affirmed what the church had already decided. So, preservation. How do we know it's accurate? I'll first take you back to Genesis chapter 3. What was the first question in the history of the world? Recorded. 
Anybody remember Genesis chapter 3? What's the first question? Yeah. Indeed, has God said? We know who asked the question. The adversary asked the question. Indeed, has God said? The first thing Satan attacked when he came to mankind, the very first thing he attacked was what? You tell me. You're very smart people. God's Word. And Satan is still attacking God's Word. He's never let up in attacking God's Word. So why are we, to quote uh, someone who said recently in this mess, because uh, Adam and Eve did not hold to God's Word. That's why we're in this mess. That's why some of you are in the mess you're in. Because you have not listened to God's Word and you've not built your life around God's Word. You know, I, 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 I have the privilege to counsel with many people, many who don't come here. And their lives are like a disaster. And I say, is it possible... Your life is a disaster because you give no credence at all to what God has said clearly in His Bible. Is it possible? That's why your life is a disaster. You know, people just live like they want outside the boundaries of God. Then they turn around and blame God. It's the, it's the craziest thing. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's insane. It's actually insane. Satan said, indeed, has God said, and he continues to attack God's Word, so how do we know in light of this relentless attack that we still have an accurate copy of the Bible? The short answer is this. God is God. He's the God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. He's the God that coded your DNA. He's the God that wired your brain. He's the God that makes the, all the cosmos just... He's the, guy that, he's the God that holds the, you know, the, the new, neutron and the proton and all those little trons together. He's the genius that does all that. And you're actually going to say to me, <laughs> He can't preserve His Word for His people? Are you actually going to allege that to me? Hey, I know none of you would. But don't ever allege that. Because what you have just said is, I don't believe He's God. Once you disparage the Bible, you've actually said, because thousands of times, guys who are writing it or speaking it, prophets, they're saying, thus saith the Lord. Thousands of times, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. So don't ever come to me and say, well, you know, there's probably error crept in. Are you kidding me? You don't think God can preserve His love letter to His people? You don't think He's God enough? Then I don't think you think He's God at all. In fact, I know you don't think He's God at all. This is a very small thing for God to do. To preserve His people. Pardon me, His Word for His people. I, and I have people disparage the Bible all the time to me, but I always ask them the same thing. You can, you can ask them this. How much homework have you done on this? You know what the universal answer is? They just don't like what the Bible says. And so, you, you know, you can get it to them. You can, you can get them to actually say it. You say, now, now what you're really saying is, 
you don't like what the Bible says. <laughs> That's what you're really saying. Because you've done no homework. But let me tell you, I told Karen this uh, yesterday, or was it today? Anyway, I said, you know, everybody should just go to seminary. She said, everybody can't go to seminary. Okay, I acknowledge. Everybody can't go to seminary. But this is how important this is, to know that this is God's Word. <laughs> right? This is how important it is. And these people walk around, and they've done no homework. I don't know if you've ever read Dawkins, uh, um, what's his book, stupid book, uh, The God Delusion. The guy makes these outlandish claims against the Bible. He's never done any homework at all. You know, he has no idea what he's talking about. And this is what you find out about people who critique the Bible. They've, done, they've not done their homework. But I want to say to you, uh, as your pastor, the homework's been done. If you, if you doubt the Bible, hey, go study this out for yourself. Go study this out for yourself. So God has preserved His Word. Just one quick verse. I've got many. I don't have time. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. If you don't think He's God enough to preserve His Word to you, then you don't think He's God. I'm pretty sure of that. So, there's a, there's a science called textual criticism. I studied this in seminary. It's breathtaking what God has done to preserve His Word for you. And I'm going to give you a few, a few statistics and I'm just going to go through this. You can uh, just listen if you will. Um, as you know, it's the most scrutinized book in the history of the world. Um, we know we have an accurate Old Testament. What you have in your hand and, and, and in your lap is an accurate Old Testament. We know this because of the Greek Septuagint. It was written in 200 B.C. We also know it because of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in the mid-20th century. Um, and we also know it because of the words of Jesus and the apostles. So, you have an accurate Old Testament. There's no legitimate conservative scholar disagrees with this. You have an accurate Old Testament. The Tanakh, you have it. There's no legitimate Jewish scholar that will deny this. How about the New Testament? This is even more thorough. There are like, like 5,700 complete or partial manuscripts that exist. 9,000 early translations exist, Latin, Coptic, and Arabic. I love this one. 38,000 quotations on the New Testament by early church fathers between the 2nd and 4th centuries through which the whole New Testament can be reconstructed apart from 11 verses. What I'm saying to you is you have an accurate Old Testament and an accurate New Testament. You may not like it. You may not believe it. But it's accurate. So don't let somebody who hasn't done their homework tell you otherwise. And kind of shame on us, right, as Christians? If we can't defend what we believe is our Father's Word. I'm not saying we have to go to seminary, but you know, we should have some, some ability to talk about these things. And let me tell you about the variances. The New Testament variants. I've got to read this to you. 99.99% of the original writings have been accurately reclaimed. Of the remaining one one-hundredth of one percent where there are variances, they affect no doctrine. All I'm saying to you is the homework's been done. If you have doubts, you go do your own homework. I'm happy to talk with you about it. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, I'll just mention it. John Piper has three um, excellent 
seminars at, on his website. It's called Why We Believe the Bible. Uh, his website is called Desiring God. And just, uh, just one huge outline. I mean, the, the information he has in that outline is just, is just astonishing. So I would refer you to that if you have interest in pursuing it. So, over time, with all of the copies we have, all of the errors have been, have been weeded out. They've been teased out. We know we have accurate copies. We know that we do. So, again, I commend you to study it for yourself if you have problems. So the Old Testament and New Testament have supernaturally been preserved by God for His people. And sometimes, you know, you'll turn on the History Channel and they, oh, they found the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas. It's been missing. We found it. It wasn't missing. It was discarded. <laughs> okay, so don't let the intellectuals uh, fool you. The reason the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas and any other Gospel they unearth is not in the Bible is because it wasn't God's purpose that it be there. How about English translations real quick? Um, my favorite, New American Standard. It's the most literal to the uh, original languages. King James is good. New King James is good. English Standard Version is very good. Is um, the canon closed? Will there be a 67th book? No, period. Okay, short answer. No, there will not be a 67th book. Revelation takes us into eternity future. That's it. There are no other books. No more revelation. There are no prophets. There are no apostles. There are no associates to apostles. There are no half-brothers of Jesus. There's nobody else around to give us a 66th book. Or 67th book, okay? So if you hear somebody talking like that, you know you need to run as quickly as you can. There will be no 67th book. I've already mentioned to you thousands of times the Bible claims to be the Word of God. That really should be enough for any reasonable person. Um, and I just want to say this, again, piggyback on what I said a moment ago. <laughs> if you don't believe He's God enough to give and preserve His Word, you don't believe He's God at all. He's kind of a pathetic God. He's, a, he's kind of a pitiable God. Um, yeah, he wanted you to have the word, but he couldn't hold it together for you. You know, men got in there and denominations got in there. And... Don't bring God down like that. All I'll say this don't blaspheme God like that. So, your view of Scripture tells me everything I need to know about your view of God. If you have a low view of Scripture, I know you have a low view of God. And trust me, I've 850 people in 15 years. A lot of people have come through here with a low view of God, a low view of Scripture. You know, our, our, our hope is that by the time they leave, God has rectified the problem, <laughs> right? They no longer have a low view of Scripture because they no longer have a low view of God. They're in awe of God. And they've decided to bow instead of flee. So, that's always our prayer. That is always our prayer. You know, on the one hand to say that God is God, but there's error in the Bible, it's an oxymoron. And I trust you understand what I'm saying. It's not a defensible position. He's either God and He can do it, or He's not God and He can't. There's no middle ground there. Um, Alright, I've talked about some of the objective evidences that speak to the fact that the Bible is God's Word. I haven't brought up historical evidence. I haven't brought up... Um, 
archaeological evidence. I haven't brought up the prophetic fulfillments, 2,000, uh, at least 300 applying to Jesus alone. Um, we haven't talked about eyewitness accounts or manuscript uh, uh, relevance and uh, internal consistency. I haven't talked about that stuff. I don't have time. But if you have concerns, I, I encourage you to study it for yourself. But what is the what is the subjective reality of the Bible? I've talked to you about a few objective. What's subje- the subjective for the believer? I hear God in it. I love what John Piper says. God's peculiar glory shines through His Word. The Spirit of God enlightens the eyes of our heart and in one self-authenticating sight, our mind is sure and our hearts are satisfied. Why why do we believe that the Bible is God's Word? Because we have met Him here. And I don't care what any pseudo-intellectual has to say about it. You need to get strong on this or you cannot walk with Christ. You simply can't walk with Christ. He's going to go places that you will not be able to go if you do not... If you're not in genuine awe of the biblical God. So I'll close with a couple of quick scriptures and we'll be done. You guys know 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I'll close with the words of Jesus, Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was the fall. So I stand here as your pastor on the authority of the Word of God and I say that every book, chapter, verse, word, and syllable is God-breathed. God said what He means and He means what He says. It's really not any more complicated than that. And I'll leave you with this. If you call yourself a Christian, but have no ongoing relationship with God through His Word, I lovingly say, I fear for the authenticity of your confession. God has written to you Millions have died that you could hold His revelation in your hands. I'm just saying, one, we, we should be in awe. Two, we need to avail ourselves to it. Or, you'll never be able to live the Christian life. You'll never be able to live it unless you are immersed in the Word of God. Let's pray together.
Lord, we praise You. We love You. We thank You for this love letter that You've written to us. Forgive us if we are, we proclaim to be Christians, but we are more or less biblically illiterate. We know this does not please You, Father. So Lord, I pray that You'll give each of us a great burden to be in Your Word, to know Your Word, to live Your Word. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yes? No?